Hi, I'm Hillary Walsh, a serial entrepreneur, award-winning immigration lawyer, law professor, TEDx speaker, and raving Phoenix Suns fan. Over the past decade, I've helped thousands of immigrants live free in the United States. I'm talking work permits, social security numbers, green cards, their citizenship, VAWA, T-Visa, U-Visa, and lots of successful appeals. Here's the thing. Immigration law is super complicated and legal advice, well, it can be pretty expensive. So I created the Immigration Law Made Easy podcast to share my 10 plus years of experience with you for free. So if you're looking for tried and true, no BS, step-by-step strategies and tips on how to win your immigration case and live truly free in the United States, you're in the right place, my friend. Let's get started. Hi, friends. It's Hillary Walsh, your immigration lawyer friend. And today let's talk about what is immigration law? How's it formed? And when was the last time that it changed? These are all some of the really common topics that are questions that people have when they're going not only through the immigration process, but really just trying to understand what is this confusing area of law. And I want to share that even when I was in law school, I remember applying for a moot court competition, which is just basically where we pretend to be lawyers and argue about a real world problem, but in a fake context, kind of like a play about real, real legal problems. And I wanted to go to New York City because I'm a Kansas girl. I wanted to go to New York City and uh, I picked NYU because that sounded so fancy. And it was an immigration law moot court competition. And I had to Google what is immigration law. I wish then that this type of video had popped up. And so if you're Googling it and trying to figure it out, maybe this will help you as well, because I have learned firsthand exactly what immigration law is after being an immigration lawyer for over 10 years. So in this short video, this short podcast, if you're listening on Immigration Law Made Easy, I hope I make it easy. I hope I make it entertaining. And I hope you understand kind of not only why the law is set up the way that it is, but why it's so complicated and confusing and why it changes so much more than any other area of the law. Let's get right to it. So immigration law is a federal body of law. What does that mean? It means that uh, states don't make immigration law because immigration law impacts the whole country, not just each individual state. So states aren't allowed to make specific immigration laws, but instead, you know, and if they do, they can they can cut off some of their funding. We're seeing a little bit of this with Florida right now, creating um, laws where it's a crime. You can make a, a certain behavior or an act a crime in your state. You can't actually change the immigration law itself, how to get a green card, how to petition for your family member. All of these are things that only Congress can do. A state Congress cannot do it. So Florida can't create a law that says spouses in Florida can petition for, you know, other people in that that creates a conflict between what the rest of the country is doing because immigration law is a federal. So the whole United States follows almost all the same rules unless they start invoking things that are very state specific. Here's an example of this. Some time ago, gay marriage was not legal in the United States. But first it became legal like in California and then Colorado and then New York and these various states started saying that being married to someone of the same sex was legal. Well, for immigration law purposes, it was still where same-sex spouses 
even if they had gotten married legally, let's say they were a California gay couple, they still couldn't file petition paperwork for immigration purposes because of immigration being a federal law. And gay marriage was not federally legal until we went through the Supreme Court process, which found that gay marriage was legal. And, and then we went from there. And now immigration law has been updated to allow for same-sex couples to be able to petition for themselves, petition for each other for immigration purposes. That's an example of state law kind of being ahead of federal law. Similarly, we see it where the states are finding that marijuana is not illegal. So we have it here in Arizona, again, Colorado, um, California. We've got a lot of different states here in the U.S. that say on a state level, it's totally okay to have marijuana um, for personal or whatever kind of use you want. I don't, I don't really, I'm not a marijuana user, so I don't really know all the ins and outs. So this is not legal advice about marijuana if you're listening to this. But what I will say is that federally, marijuana is still considered a controlled substance and it's still a federal crime to have it. So if you are someone who's subject to federal laws, like my husband who's in the Air Force or an immigrant who is subject to federal controlled substance laws, it would still be a federal crime for you to have this specific substance even though the state says that it's allowed. So this is kind of the difference between state law and federal law. Your federal laws have to be passed by Congress and the Senate, and then the president signs it into law in order for it to actually become law, where a state law, all of that's going to happen at the state level, and the governor is going to sign it into law. So you also have unique ways that the president can issue what's called executive orders. These are kind of what I would call like, you know, a change in the rules or a slight modification, or this is how we do it here while I'm in office, which is faster than if I try to get the entire law changed. It's like a memo or a supplement or an addendum. And there actually can be a lot of litigation about this because it can come into conflict with what the law is. Let me give you an example. When President Obama was president, in the 2000s, in the mid 2000s, is actually when I was in law school. Um, Harry Reid, who was the senator in Nevada where I went to law school, he was really trying to get what was called the Dream Act passed. The Dream Act would have been amazing, and I hope that someday it is eventually passed. But essentially, it would allow for people who today have DACA, but they were brought to the United States before their 16th birthday. They've gone to an American school or, or in an American school and either have a GED or they're got their uh, high school diploma or they're in, in the process of getting those and they have no criminal history. Those are the basics of what the DREAM Act would have allowed those young people to apply for a green card, even though they they technically hadn't had any other way of going about getting a green card. That would have been the DREAM Act. That was a federal law that was not passed. So Congress didn't sign off on it. It never made its way to the president. It basically died. Okay, so, so it's gone. This happened in the middle of the 2000s, in like the 2010s. President Obama said, okay, so the DREAM Act didn't get passed, but I'm going to issue an executive order. I'm going to make up this thing kind of out of thin air and say that if you you know, qualify under these various things, we can now call it DACA, Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, I'm going to give you a work permit. The government's going to give you a work permit 
and a social security number and a promise that we're not going to deport you while you keep this current. Basically, like stay current with the government and stay out of trouble. And it's not a green card, but it's the next best thing because we weren't able to get this law passed. That is a type of executive action that the president can take and later uh, can be sued over. So fast forward to when President Trump became president. After Obama's second term, we had DACA all throughout the basically the first and second term of um, the Obama administration. Fast forward, and then Trump becomes president and says, no more. DACA is going away. We're pausing the program. And once Biden was elected, he tried to reinstate the program and say that DACA's back, baby, as an executive action, as an executive order, and federal litigation, like the court's got involved. And now there's a stay, a pause on allowing new DACA applications to be processed. Existing ones can be renewed, but there's a pause. And here's why. What our Senate and our Congress is designed for, which is to create laws, and then the president signs it into law. But here, arguably, and this is what the fight is over in federal court, over DACA, is that the president could be seen as creating something that is in conflict with our existing laws. And no presidential decision or action can do that because then the president is basically, um, for lack of a better term, trumping. And, uh, you know, when you play rock, paper, scissors, paper beats rock. In that situation, the president would be the paper and Congress and the Senate would be the rock and they, the president would win. And our system is designed so that we have all three as equals, the court, the executive branch, so the president, and um, Congress and Senate as the other component. All three need to be neutral, be able to neutralize each other. They are a checks and balances system. So this is where things get really hairy and frankly kind of uh, on one hand, they make you want to pull your hair out um, when you're on the receiving end of things as an immigrant and as an immigration lawyer. And then on the other hand, it gives you a lot of hope that you never know what tomorrow will bring. Because specifically when Trump was president, we had a new executive order issued, sometimes multiple new rules issued every single day while Trump was president. It, it wasn't literally every single day, but over the course, when we averaged over the course of the four years, it was like a new immigration rule was issued almost every single day, sometimes multiple in a day. So it just meant that you never know what tomorrow will bring. And that's the half glass, the, the glass half full that I uh, carry as an immigration lawyer, because you just never know when things are going to get shaken up. So that's a little bit about how immigration law is made. Congress has to agree to it. The president has to sign it into effect. And if there are these little addendums, these little things that we want to add in, these little extras, then the president can try and sometimes successfully can try to create those through executive orders or through executive actions. Okay. And then we also have lots of different memorandums and different interpretations and regulations and all these other things that we're not going to get into today, but those also exist. And these comprise the entire body of what's called immigration law, and they're all federal. Now, you may wonder, when is the last time, if we're talking about Obama couldn't get uh, the Obama administration in like the, the Congress while Obama was president, couldn't get immigration reform to happen. 
Donald Trump's administration, President Trump's administration wasn't able to get immigration reform to happen. And I, I don't think that it was really a high priority other than to, you know, really limit the number of people coming here to seek asylum. I think that was the main priority of the, the Trump administration. And then here we are in the Biden administration has not been able to make immigration reform happen. So when did the last time, when was the last time that Congress was able to change immigration law? It was back when Bill Clinton was president in 1996. Wow. What led we've over the past how many years since 1996? It's like 30 years almost since we've had immigration, major immigration reform. What led to that? Why did this come about? And what was the what was the change that was made? Well, what I'll tell you is it was a massive overhaul of the asylum seeking process massive overhaul of everything related to a lot of the vocabulary changed, the whole government titling change. We went from being the INS to being, um, gosh, what are we now? It's funny to think about this. We, we were the INS and then now we are Department of Homeland Security. Immigration and Naturalization Services to the Department of Homeland Security is what we are now. And you know, so there was just a really big shakeup in the 90s. So many amazing things happened in the 90s. What, what led to this? It was the World Trade Center bombing, in my opinion. I believe that immigration reform needed to happen, but it is my argument that it was the World Trade Center bombing in 1993 that laid the foundation for getting immigration reform done within three years. And here's why. There was a man um, who, a foreign man who entered the United States without, he entered at JFK, came in on an airplane, went to JFK, had no stamp or permission in his passport for him to enter the country. He was coming from a Middle Eastern country. He was told, you know, he'd taken a secondary inspection and told, look, you're not allowed to be here. And he said, I want to seek asylum. And this process still exists today where you can come to the border, you can come to an airport and everything else, and you can request to seek asylum. And through that process, he was brought into the United States and put into a detention center. But because the detention center was at capacity, was so full, he was released and told, come back, we're going to bring you into court. We're going to put you basically in the removal proceedings process. And you're, you know, you're free to go right now. This continues to happen today on some level, and we help lots of people through this process. But that man went on to orchestrate the World Trade Center bombing. And that is what prompted so many people, particularly Republicans, to look at the, and, and this is not anything against Republicans or Democrats, it's just the reality that there were very, very vocal Republicans who said, look at all these people who are abusing the asylum process. And they're coming in and they're faking asylum, but they're really trying to do bad things because they're terrorists. So we need to change the whole asylum process to make sure that this never happens again. Now, they've changed the asylum process. It is extremely difficult. And the Biden administration, frankly, has made it, has attempted to make it even more difficult for people to come into the country and seek asylum. You might wonder, what is asylum and why does it allow people to basically get a, a hall pass to enter the country? Asylum is born out of the Holocaust, where we saw horrendous things happen in the U.S. turned lots and lots of people away who ought to have been able to come to, into the United States and seek refuge. 
But because we didn't have a well-established asylum process at all, we turned people away and they were sent back and they were slaughtered. And so across the world, we saw that the whole world needed to understand that sometimes human atrocities at the hands of the government, or even when the government's unable to protect one civilian from another civilian, people need to be able to flee and have refuge in other countries. And that's what asylum is. So when people come to our border and they ask for asylum, now they go through a very complicated screening process that is, it is easier to, uh, you know, a camel to get through the eye of a needle than it is to be able to get into the United States to seek asylum today. And frankly, that is a really sad thing because, um, the asylum process is not regularly abused by terrorists, but it was in the specific instance. And here we are. Bill Clinton was able to get asylum, uh, to get immigration law changed. It went into effect in April of 1997. And that, my friends, is the last time that we saw any major immigration reform. Now, what I will say as I close this out, hopefully this is helpful for you to really understand when, where, why, how, and the context behind why immigration laws are not only so complicated, they're so politically charged, they really um, can almost be upsetting sometimes for people because they want to protect our country and they feel like people who are coming in might be people who could harm it. But what I want to share is that when you look at the economics of immigration, it's incredible how the United States has benefited from immigration. And I will also share that I hope in this next presidential term that people don't need to wait for a horrendous event, historic event to happen in order for us to change the immigration system, because this immigration system is tearing families apart and we have become immune to it. We have become, it has become normal for us to see children who have a parent across the border. And uh, I'm not going to be okay with that. And you shouldn't be okay with that until it's all remedied to the best of our ability. So now you know how immigration law is made, what immigration law is, and when was the last time immigration law was updated. Thanks, friends. I'll see you around. My friend, I'm so glad you joined me today. If you have a friend or family member who may need some immigration law guidance or even just day-to-day encouragement, please send them a text or email or a DM on social media and say, hey, I think this podcast is going to help you. I sure wish someone had given me the tips I'm sharing here years and years ago when I was starting out as an immigration lawyer. Thank you so much for being here. I'll see you next week. Same time, same place. Adios.